0: How many you ready to get into the word? Amen. Amen. You got your Bibles or your smart device or whatever you listen to the word on? Yes? yes. Come on, let's grab our Bibles. Let's make our confession. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. Oh, you got to say it. That, that's real weak. That's real weak. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I, can do what it says I, can do. I have what it says I have. I am, I am about to be taught the life-changing word of faith. Word of faith. faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And after I have heard and, I have heard and, obeyed, and obeyed, I will see, I will see the, word the word produce in my life. In my life. Amen. We're going to get into the word today. I'm teaching from a series. I'm just starting it, and it's called When God Goes to War. God goes to war, and it's about the process of victory. And so I want to give you a little bit of background before we get into what we're exactly talking about today. But, you know, there are dimensions of God. If you search God for an eternity, you wouldn't find out everything there is to find out about God. Amen? If you think you know everything about God, it's the God you've created. Because God is expansive and exhausted, and you can study him every day for the rest of your life on into eternity. And every day you can find out something new about him. And so today we're gonna be talking about the God of war that you may or may not have studied about. And so we're gonna um, let me set up a little foundation for you. The reason that we have an enemy, the Bible says that in the beginning, Satan, that we call him now, his name was actually Lucifer, and he was a chief angel. In fact, he was one of the highest angels. If you study it historically, you study it out, then you find that, that he was one of the angels that had like um, he was equivalent with Gabriel. He was a he was a, um, an archangel. And so all of the worship flowed through him. And if you read over in Isaiah, you'll say that if you looked at, at Lucifer, that he was absolutely beautiful because he was filled with the glory of God. And he had all of these jewels that ran throughout his body. And when people and, and I mean, and when angels gave praise to the Lord, that worship ran through him. And so um, the Bible says that one day he began to think about himself and he began to say about himself, well, why do they praise him? They should praise me. And so he began to grow this iniquity in his heart. And the Bible says that there was a war in heaven, not like really a war like that God had any chance of leaving. It literally says that iniquity raised up in his heart. And when he came to himself again, he found himself stripped of his glory and in the earth. And so that is how the enemy ended up here in earth. And so people often ask questions like this. They say, well, you know, if God knew that we were going to sin and there was going to be a devil, why did he send us here knowing the devil was here? Because in Genesis 1, it says that you were created in the image of God, meaning that it is not the intention that the devil should ever be able to do anything to you but be up under your feet. In fact, that's what the Bible says. It says that he's under your feet. So if you're like the devil's hitting me in the face, he's all in my head, he's all on my back, he's in the wrong place. He should be under your feet. Say the devil devil belongs belongs under my feet. feet. That's a very important thing for believers to realize because if you don't know who you are in Christ, remember we've been talking about being a prevailing church, and we said that your revelation of Christ is going to determine what hell can do with you. It's going to determine how much hell can be in your life. It's going to determine how much sickness can be in your life, how much poverty can be in your life, how much distress can be in your relationships, how much depression can be in your life. So it's important for you to understand that while God is fully loved, that part of his expression of love is that God goes to war for his people. In fact, the Bible says that before this, the, here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus going to the cross was not an afterthought. Tell your neighbor, say it wasn't an afterthought. It's not like Adam and Eve sinned and then God said, what are we going to do? The Bible says that before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. What does that mean? It means that God, when he was creating creation, he had to think about, here's, let me say this, angels and humans have choice because if you didn't have choice, your response to God couldn't be love. It would be forced, it would be enslaved, and God never intended for you to be enslaved. So he gave humans choice, and he gave angels choice, which is how Satan, Lucifer, could decide that he didn't want to worship God, that he wanted to be worshipped. So since that moment, the goal of Satan is to get you to worship him. It is to get you to use your life to honor him, because that is what he desired. He desired to be exalted above the Most High God. And so God created you and he created me with his image. And so he created us in a way that no matter what we do, we're never going to be fully complete until we walk in unity with him. And as we walk in unity with him, then there begins to become an authority that operates on our life that allows us to push back the enemy. So understand that whether you're black or whether you're white or whether you're Hispanic or whether you're Asian or whether you're male or whether you're female, the enemy has one goal that is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He wants to strip your life. He wants to strip your life. But turn and tell your neighbor, say, but, but. he's already defeated. And the challenge is is that because many believers don't engage themselves in the word and they don't engage themselves in a church that challenges them to grow, they know the Lord, but they live like they don't. And so your job, wear you out like it wear everybody else out. And your marriage wear you out like everybody else's marriage wear them out. And your kids wear you out like everybody else's kids wear them out. And your money problems look like everybody else. But you're not called to that life because the Bible says thanks be to God who has given you the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to begin to see your God as a God who goes to war. And you have to begin to see yourself as a person in victory if you expect to live in victory. Shout out I have the victory. So now that we've laid this out, we're going to begin to talk about, you should do a study sometime about the names of God. We're going to be talking about the Lord Jehovah Saboath, S-O-B-S-A-B-O-A-T-H, Saboath, and it means the Lord of the host. So anytime you read in the Bible and you see the Lord of the host, it means that you are looking at the dimension of God that goes to war. How many of you glad to know that you got a God that knows how to go to war? Amen, that sounds real weak. How many of you glad that you have a God that knows how to go to war? Listen, and let me tell you something. If the Bible and church and all of that stuff still bores you, it's because you don't really know who you are. Because in reality, the only real reason for church is a twofold reason. It is to gather together to worship the Lord and to learn how to rule in life. And so if church is boring you, it's because you haven't established your identity yet. Because when you hear words, you ought to be excited about what's going on because God wants to change your life. He wants to set you up for the victory he's already prepared for you. Amen. So we're talking about what happens when God goes to war. And we're going to spend some time. We're really going to walk through one chapter of the Bible today, and we're going to look at what God desires to do. And I'm giving you guys some background. Shout, I'm a champion. champion. Shout, I, I have a God who fights for me. Somebody ought to get the Lord a hand clap of praise. I said, you have a God who fights for you. So when you're fighting for your marriage, you're not fighting by yourself. And when you're fighting for your kids, you're not fighting by yourself. You have a God that fights with you. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff right there. And I want you to be excited, and I want you to be stirred up by that because when you begin to understand, it's just like it, there is a difference between following your team when you don't think they're going to win any games. Now, if you're a good fan, you go going to stick with them. Listen, let me tell you something. I am a razorback, true and true, all the way in. But some seasons make me sadder than others. <laughs> but there are some seasons when you know you're going to win, that you show up different in the stadium and you show up different when you turn the TV on. You understand what I'm saying? And like, see, some of you, when you started watching the game yesterday, Arkansas fans, you were not really sure what Arkansas was going to be able to do with Louisiana. But when they ran that first touchdown, your hope began to rise. See, the difference between the Razorbacks and God is that God already has the victory. You ain't got to wonder which way he go show up. You don't have to wonder if he go pull it off. See, it don't matter how many overtimes you go to with God, at the end of the day, it's going to be victory. Amen. And that's why I wore a t-shirt the other week. It says, we're not moved by the process because we're focused on the promise. And your promise is victory. Amen. Amen. The first time that we see the word, the, we see God describe himself in scripture as the Lord Sabaoth is in 2 Samuel 1 and 3. And in this story, Hannah is going to the temple and she is praying and she is crying before the Lord because she does not have a son. And she is married to a man who is good to her, but the man's other wife has children. And the Bible says that every year when they go up to worship, that the woman picks at her because she does not have children. And so her husband tries to comfort her and he says, "But what about how good I am to you? Aren't I better than 10 sons?" And she's like, "I love you, but not really. I want a son. I want a child." And so she's in the temple and she is crying and she is going and she is really really going through and she says, "Um first Samuel, not second Samuel. If I said 2 Samuel. Samuel. I'm in mean First Samuel, and so what he's she's going through, and and the prophet Eli he rebukes her because he thinks that she's drunk, and so um, she says, "I'm not drunk. I am just sad because there is something that is missing in my life." Now look at this right here. It says, "The man went up yearly out of the city to worship to the Lord of Hosts." Whenever you see Lord of Hosts in your Bible, it means the God of Warfare. So it's interestingly, they go up to host to the Lord of warfare. And then she goes in and she begins to engage with the Lord of hosts. And if you keep on going, um, that's that's just the first time it says there, but I'm just telling you the story. So what she does is she begins, she tells the man of God that she wants a child, and she says, if the Lord gives me a child, I'm gonna dedicate that child back to the Lord. And so she goes, and she has this son, and his name is Samuel. And she has Samuel, and when she has Samuel, she does exactly what she says she's going to do. She dedicates him back to the Lord. So here's the first thing that you need to understand, that when you ask God to do something in your life, you need to do what you said you were going to do. Oh, I'm going to say that again. When you ask the Lord to do something in your life, you need to do what you said you were going to do. How many of you have ever told the Lord that if he helps you, you won't do X anymore? Or if he helps you, you'll be more faithful in whatever, right? When you make a promise to the Lord, you ought to keep your word because whatever the Lord is doing in your life is always to set you up for victory. Amen. Now, if you go on in um, 2 Samuel, I'm not sure what the scripture is. Don't worry about it, Caleb. We're going to go to Isaiah 54 after this. If you go on to 2 Samuel, then you will see that the Bible says this. It says, As long as Samuel lived, the Philistines could not prevail against Israel. So, literally, what the Lord did was he took a woman's desire to get a weapon of warfare into the earth. You're here as a weapon of warfare. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, they're not accidents. They're intentional. You are released into the earth realm for the purpose of being a weapon of warfare to produce what God wants produced in the earth. See, what you need to understand, is the Bible says the Old Testament is for our learning. So the Old Testament is just a natural example of what takes place spiritually. All them ites they had to face in the Old Testament, they what we call demons and spirits and oppressions and generational curses, right? And so it takes... Tells you that in order to see what you need to understand, how many of you want to live in the promised land? You want to live the best life God has for you. Well, I need to tell you something that the promised land is a place of war. In order, the Bible says, in fact, in order to take the land, they had to drive it out little by little so that the beast did not overtake them. And so, God wants you to understand your identity in Him so that you can use your life in order to produce His will in the earth. Amen. Some of you sitting here today and you are the result of someone's prayers. You didn't graduate because you were smart. You graduated because you had a grandmother that was praying over you. You didn't get this job because you were the best candidate. You got this job because you had a grandmother and a mother that lifted you up that said, I want them to have a better life than the life that I have right now. And so my question to you is, how do you get here on prayer and then live on your own? How do you get the door open because somebody prayed and believed God for you and then you don't position yourself to be in position to pray for the next generation? Amen. Let's look at Isaiah 54. We're going to walk through it. Say, God goes to war. And when he goes to war, the only answer is victory. Amen. Listen, I know it's raining, but y'all going to have to turn y'all energy up in a little bit in here because we talking about a God of war. We're we, we not, we not talking about the God of worship where we laying on the floor, everybody crying today. We're talking about put your battle clothes on because it's time for you to win. You have some situations in your life that have defeated you long enough. You have some situations in your life, they're your mama demons, and they're your daddy demons, and your grandfather demons. You've been struggling with them, but somebody ought to say, you know, what? wait a minute. If God is a God of war, it's time to kill some of these things. It's time for some enemies to die and not come back in my life anymore. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, "God God is strategic. So I'm going to be walking you through this combination of Isaiah 54, going back and forth, telling the story of, G- of God bringing Moses and the children of Israel out of the Red Sea. So I hope you'll stick with me while we take this journey. So let's look at this. It says, the very first, it's an instruction. What's the first instruction? Sing. sing. That answers all your questions about whether you ought to sing in church, praise and worship. It says, what does it say? It don't say sing all the people with good voices. (laughs) Sing all the people who can make a solo album. It said, what does it say? It says sing, and then it begins to talk about it. It says, sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. It is time for you to break forth in singing. So when you should be doing your greatest singing in your life, it's when you have had things in your life that have not produced. When you have things in your life that have died, when you have things in your life that are not breaking through, that's when you ought to be doing your biggest singing. In fact, it says that when you got dead stuff in your life, that's when you ought to break out into singing. And then it says, cry aloud. So it means that people who are going for recovery, they not quiet in their praise. Maybe people who recovered everything, y'all still dignified in your praise. But it's some people in here who's like, wait a minute, I still got some kids that need to get free. I still got some financial oppression that's going on in my life. I still got some struggles in my mind that don't nobody know about. So I'm going to break forth in singing and I'm going to cry aloud because there's a promise that's coming here. He says, he says, for thou that did not travail with child. This isn't really about child as much as it's about breakthrough and fruitfulness. It says, so when you aren't being fruitful, that's when you ought to praise him. He says, because your praise will position you for fruitfulness. Your complaining will never produce you for fruitfulness. And some of you worked hard and you've laid out the best plans, and when you get through, they're still not fruitful. You've written down strategies they should have worked on paper, and they're still not fruitful. Why? Because there is a strategy to winning in the kingdom of God. Amen. He says, why should you do this? He says, because you are about to be more fruitful than the people who was fruitful at first. That's really all it says. It says, you've been looking at the people. It's like a woman. It's like Hannah who's looking at, at her, um, her husband's other wife, and he's looking at, she's looking at how fruitful she is, and she's sad because she's fruitful. And the Lord says, hold on, Hannah. You're about to be more fruitful than she ever was because what she is about to do. The, see, you can produce children naturally. Oh, that's good. And you can produce children supernaturally. You can get jobs naturally. And you can get supernatural jobs. And you can get money naturally. And you can get supernatural money. And so the Lord says that there's something that happens when you and God enter into covenant that allows you to be more fruitful than what you produced in your natural ability. Yes, you're smart. Yes, you're educated. Yes, you have degrees. Yes, they like you. Yes, you're climbing the corporate ladder. But there is something you can do with God that is more fruitful than what you could do by yourself. Somebody give the Lord some praise. He says, so your singing will stir your heart. And then in verse 2, what does it say? It says, enlarge the place of your tent. So people who are getting ready to recover in battle ought to be praisers and they ought to be preparers. People who are getting ready to recover ought to be praisers and they ought to be preparers. Don't tell me you believe in a house and you're not looking at open houses during the week. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that. Don't, don't, don't tell me that you believing for a godly spouse and you still looking for somebody in the club. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that you really want a woman who know how to pray, but when you decide whether to talk to a woman, you judge it by how short her skirt is. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that you want a man who can cover you and the guy you date now don't work. Because there ought to be some preparation for what it is you say you want. How do we know? Because when a woman gets pregnant, what she looks at in the store changes. Do I have any witnesses in here? With the before you're pregnant, you don't even know what's in the baby aisle. You, you, you just, when you walk in target and you don't and you're not pregnant, you you just go, baby. Uh you pregnant today and when you go in Target, it'll change how you walk. Instead of walking by it in oblivion, you start going, wait. What's that? Oh, that's cute. I didn't know they did that. Why? Because there is a preparation for someone who is expecting to become fruitful in an area. Oh, don't tell me you ain't got the money to go back to school and you ain't even looked at the program to know which program you want to go into. You don't even know which program it is? How are you going to ask God for the money when you don't know which program it is? Don't tell me you want to be a CEO and you won't take the extra training that they offer at work because it would mean you couldn't go to happy hour. Don't tell me that because people who going somewhere are preparing to go. So he says, now, if you really believe it's about to be a time of victory and recovery, he says, enlarge your tent. Before you make space on the outside for greater, you got to make space on the inside for greater. Because as long as you think little, you will produce little. So you have to allow the word to get on the inside of you and begin to stretch you on the inside. Because when you get stretched on the inside, you can't help but stretch on the outside. I'll give you a great example. Listen, let me tell you something. When I was in college, party don't owe me nothing. You hear me? If I don't never party no more, baby, I partied. I partied. I went to, listen, when I was a freshman, they had a party on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and a mix on Sunday. I went to all of them. I didn't go to all my classes, but I went to every single party. I didn't show up late because I like to dance. When they open and turn the music on, I want to dance. I danced the whole time. Why? Because that's what I like to do. And then, then I noticed that when God started getting a hold of my life at the place I used to like to be, I knew I didn't need to go to the party anymore because I started getting mad when people was touching me. Like you in, you, you in the club and it's crowded and you mad because of people touching you. That means that something has shifted on the inside of you that has changed what you, the environment you ought to be in. See, some of you, the truth of it is, is that something really is shifting for you, but you keep going back into that tight environment, and then you wonder why you're frustrated. See, understand, that's why the reason you can't stay with all your friends all your life. The reality of it is that I don't care how much you love your friends. If you and your friends started being best friends in the eighth grade, and y'all both had a plan, and now your friends sell drugs, and you in corporate America, it's hard for y'all to be friends. What you going to talk about? What you going to talk about? Because when you're trying to be an upstanding citizen, you like, don't tell me nothing. Don't tell me nothing. Can you ride in the car with me? Nope. Can you ride in the car? Can I ride in the car with you? Nope. We can meet at a restaurant. Why? Because something on the inside of you is different. I'm trying to tell you about, I'm, I'm talking about shift right now because the only way you go really shift is if you really begin to understand what God is trying to do. Listen, so I liked to party and my brother sold drugs. So I thought drug life was fun and fast and I dated a drug dealer. And so I thought that was cute. I thought it was cute to be in school up here in the week and then go home weekend with my boyfriend who sold drugs and get money and come back. And then something shifted. Then something shifted. When I was 20, he got arrested. He had $35,000 and over 100 pounds of weed. They called me. They said, you need to come to see him because they're going to lock him up. I had to drive from Fayetteville, Arkansas to Dorado, Arkansas. How I many of you know that's a long drive? About the time I got to Elkins, because we used to have to take the pig trail, something started to shift on the inside of me. And I started to say, I ain't really the kind of girl who wants no man in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 by the time I got to Eldorado, I came to Eldorado to say this I'm real sorry that you're in this situation, whether they send you or whether they don't. I'm out of this. I'm out of this. You know what he said to me? He said, "I was wondering when you would wake up and see you were better than this. See, there's some people in your life that you're associating with that they already know that you call to greater. You just don't know that you call to greater. you hanging around here in mid-level management. They already know you executive material, that you see sweet material. You're the one that don't know, so you keep hanging out with them." Oh yeah. It says, and let the curtain stretch forth in thy habitations, and spare not, and lengthen thy course, and strengthen thy stakes. This begins to talk about the internal strengthening that has to happen. It wasn't just enough for me to break up with that boyfriend. I had to deal with the internal part of me that liked their life. I had to, see, because men who work every day don't always just have bunches of disposable cash. But people who get their money fast and hard will give you their money real easy. And so I had to deal with the part of me that actually liked living in that small place. And so there are some things you're gonna have to do on the inside of you if you will ever have who God be who God called you to be. It's some ways you're gonna have to grow up if you're ever gonna be who God called you to be. It's some truth that you're gonna have to accept about your life because just because you're in it doesn't mean God called you to it. Amen. Whenever God calls you out, he calls you out to call you into. Tell your neighbor, say, he always calls me out out. in order to call me into. In verse 3, it says, for you shall break forth on the right hand. I love this. And on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. I really like this out of the Amplify. It's better there. It says, listen here. The expansion that God is trying to put in your life is always supposed to multiply. Tell your neighbor, say multiply. Multiply. It says, so you're going to expand to the left and you're going to expand to the right, but it's your kids that should possess the nations. And in truth, there are struggles that you have today because your parents didn't know how to expand to the left and expand to the right. But if you expand to the left and expand to the right and you you live the way God is calling you to live, there are some struggles and some giants that your kids won't face because you killed them. There are some giants. See, David's kids never had to face Goliath because he killed Goliath. What are the giants in your life that God is calling you to kill so your kids and grandkids don't ever have to look at them? What is it that God wants to do in your life? How does God want to use your life? Is it breaking poverty? Is it breaking depression? Is it breaking divorce? What is God trying to do in your life so that your grandkids don't even know that it's supposed to happen that way? Amen? Let's look at Colossians Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14. Are you learning something? Say, I'm a champion. Say, I'm called to win. Say, my God has gone to war for me. Look at this. It says, who, deliver, who has delivered us? Had. That's a past tense word. Tell your neighbor, say, you. you. Look, No, look them in the face for real. Tell him, say, You, you. are already, already delivered. delivered. Just wake up, Just wake up to, your to your deliverance. See, the challenge for a lot of people is that you're trying to struggle not to be what God has already freed you. The only reason that you're struggling is because you don't realize you've already been delivered. You don't need somebody to unlock the jail when the jail already been unlocked. But you do need to walk out of it and understand that you're not in prison anymore. Amen? It says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So he brings us out of in order to bring us into. Listen, if you're in Northwest Arkansas, there is so much. If you look at Northwest Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas is the model of growth and possibility. It never should have been this. It was a little country town. It really is still a little country town trying to learn how to manage 500,000 people. The fact that you're here is evidence that God is trying to teach you what expansion looks like. It's that God is trying to teach you what it's like to come from nothing and make it something. You're trying to run up out of Northwest Arkansas. Have you learned the lessons of expansion that you can use somewhere else? Amen. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. The journey with the children of Israel is an earthly example of what takes place for the believer. He brought them out of Cain, Egypt, to bring them into Canaan. God is bringing you out of sin to bring you into destiny. He is bringing you out of cursing to bring you into blessing. He is strategically orchestrating your life to ensure that when you get to the end of your life, there are no dreams left unlived. Because what God has put in your heart, it is for the advancement of the kingdom and for your family. Amen? So God always brings us out in order to bring us us into. Now, we're going to switch and we're going to begin to look at what happens when God begins to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. If you go to Exodus 14. If you look at Exodus 14, tell your neighbor, say, God always has a strategy. Now let me parenthetically insert here that the reason some of you continue to struggle with the same issues is because you fight God over issues of obedience. And sometimes you're trying to create your own plan and you should just do what he tells you to say to do. And anybody who's a parent fully understands this. It's like when you ask your kids to wash the dishes and they say, but I clean my room instead. <laughs> but but that's, not, yeah, that's not what I ask you to do. I ask you, to do this right here. And some of you are living in your life. It's not that you don't love the Lord. It's not that you haven't accepted Jesus. It's not that you don't want to do the things to please the Lord. But your problem is is that you've never understood that obedience is a weapon. Whenever God is giving you an instruction, he is positioning you to win. Whenever God gives you an instruction, he is positioning you to win. Whenever... God gives you an instruction. He is putting you in position to win. Shout God wants, me to win. God wants me to win. So anyway, go to verse, no, not 14, 15, 14, the whole chapter. I'm just going to tell you this story. Basically, what happens is the children of Israel, they have come out of the wilderness. I mean, they have come out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt. You realize that Pharaoh did not let them go until the dying of the firstborn, right? Y'all know that story, right? Y'all heard that story growing up. And so what happens is, is that as they begin to travel, Pharaoh's heart hardens because Pharaoh always wanted to keep them in bondage anyway. Understand that when I'm telling this story, that Pharaoh and Egypt represent the things in your life that keep trying to come back. They keep chasing you as you're trying to follow after God. So they are journeying, and in Exodus, the 14th chapter, God says to Moses, he says, I need you to camp right here. Because what's about to happen is that Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened, and he is going to say that because they are not equipped to live in the wilderness, we can go and overtake them. And so there are times that the Lord is telling you to do something and you don't think you should do it because you think you're stronger than you are. When God is trying to change your life, it's some people you can't hang with no more. They cool, but you're not that strong. He already knows how the enemy is going to use your association to put you back in the situation. Do you realize that when most people relapse for drug addiction it's because they go back into their same environment? Because do you realize that most people do not do their drug in front of people who don't do drugs? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm mean, not, i I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, but if I came to your house today and it didn't smell like weed and I ain't seen no weed paraphernalia, I'm probably not just going to sit down as we watch the game and go, Y'all don't mind if I roll this up, right? Because your environment is always working on you, understand? So most people backslide because they go back into an environment that is conducive for backslide. (sighs) Selah, when you get caught up, you get caught up because you go back to the place where your flesh is happy. People who are trying to lose weight don't need to go to buffets. No, 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 hear me. If you're trying to lose weight, you don't ever go to the buffet. When you're trying to lose weight, you go to lunch and take the light portion. You trying to stay free from drinking and drugs and turning up? Why are you at the party at 11 o'clock? I'm sorry, y'all are too over the party. Y'all go to the club or whatever. It looks like a club up here. But there are things you do. When you're trying to stay free, there are certain things you don't put yourself in front of. And you don't deceive yourself to think that you're stronger than you are. You struggle with maintaining sexual purity. Well, Netflix and chill is cold word for I'm going to need to repent tomorrow. So when she's like, hey, what you doing? You want to watch a movie? No. it's at the movie theater. Oh, but that's so extreme. But you already know you don't want to marry her. You already know you don't want to marry her. You already know she ain't the one. And then you don't understand why she busts the windows out your car because you keep on playing with her. I don't understand why she crazy because you keep giving your strength into her, making her think that she going to be with you. But you already know he don't want you. That's why he didn't let you meet his mama when she came up. So he says, go to this place so I can position you to win. And the Bible tells an interesting story. You should actually go back and read it. It says, so what God does is that he positions himself between Israel and their enemy. And he is light to them, but he makes it dark for their enemy. See, when you get in obedience to God, some enemies that you've been trying to fight, God will hide you from them. They can't even see you. But your disobedience got a flashlight on your head. It's just like, here she is. There she is. You ever seen a little kid try to hide and they hide in plain sight? They like hiding, sitting in the chair. Like you ain't even get under the table, right? Your disobedience, you just sitting on top of the table talking about I'm hiding from you. No, you have to do what God is telling you to do. And so their enemy was consumed. Let's go back to um, Isaiah. I'm almost done with this. You learning something? Say God wants me to win. And then I love this. Let's look at verse 4, verse 4 in Isaiah 54. And I'm going to give you some steps that you can take that you can follow. In Isaiah 54, and then he says, he says, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither shalt thou be confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. Amen. Let's look at what some of these words mean. It says, it says, you will not be afraid. See, the reason that we are afraid to step out and be what God is calling us to be is because we are afraid that we're going to be put to shame. If I start the business, if I go back for the doctorate, if I really try to live a life where I have a happy marriage, I'm going to go be ashamed, you know what I'm saying? So it's just easier to pretend like I don't really care about it. But he says, fear not, because you're not going to be put to shame. Here is what you need to establish in your heart. No man does it God's way and loses. No, no, we're going to say that again until you feel some oil on that. No man does it God's way and loses. It isn't, you may look like you losing, but whatever you look like you losing, God is always setting you up in order for victory. Understand you cannot obey God and lose. And that's the first thing you got to settle if you're going to be able to go to war with God. You got to understand there are times in the Bible where it says just walk around the mountain. I mean, just walk around the city of Jericho. Now, right now, if we was going to go fight somebody, do we look like good idea that we just go over there and start walking around their house? We just go walk in and we ain't going to say nothing. We just go walk around their house. But on the seventh day, the wall fell. There are other times, he says, you're getting ready to go into battle, send you the first. So we're about to go into a fight and we're going to send a praise team. we were like, y'all go out there and y'all sing, Jesus on the main line. Like, what are we doing here? It doesn't make sense in the natural that you would ever send praises first in the battle. There are some things that God is asking you to do, but they don't make sense, but they're designed to get you into victory. He says, you will not be ashamed if you do it my way. Make that confession. Say, I will never be ashamed ashamed if I do it God's way. way. He says, in fact, God's way is going to be so good to you that you're going to forget the shame of your past. He says, God wants to be so good to you that you forget the shame of your past. So that all the stuff in your past, all your failures, all your mishaps, all your missteps, all the things you weren't, all the things you were. He says, when the goodness of God begins to flow in your life and you begin to walk in victory, you will forget the shame that you used to have. Amen. And then we see, let's look at verse 5. It says, for thy maker is thy husband, man, the Lord of hosts. What did I tell you? Anytime you said the Lord of hosts, what is that? The Lord Saboath. It is the Lord that goes to warfare. So, and then it says, and thy redeemer. So what you're going to see is this partnership with God all the time, these two things you're going to see. Whenever God seeks to redeem you, he always goes to war for you. Anybody ever seen the movie Taken? That is what war and redemption look like together. He says to her, he says, they are going to take you but I am coming for you. He says to the man, he says, I don't have money, but I got a particular set of skills. What you need to understand is that sometimes you're looking for money and God is saying, it ain't time for money now, but I got a particular set of skills that if you walk this out with me, this thing will not come back. That is taken is the perfect example of what it looks like when God gets up off his throne and goes to war. Amen. Somebody ought to praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How I many of you know that there are some things in your life they've tried to come back on you, no matter how much you plan and how much you budget and how much you do, they keep coming back into your life. I declare that this is the season that you're going to see some enemies for the last time. I, I, you ought to hear that. This is the season that you are going to see some enemies for the last time because your greatest weapon to partner with God is your obedience. And that as you, that's, do you, have you ever thought about why the enemy fights you so hard on obedience? Because he can't defeat you if you obey God. But your disobedience makes you a target. But this is the season where some of your enemies are going to be drowned and they're not coming back anymore. Amen. Anybody got some stuff in your life that you like? It's just about enough of this. We, we done done this long enough. We're not going to have this anymore, so there has to be a shifting. Listen, I love this. Let's go on. We're going to skip down. You're going to have to read the whole chapter for yourself. Amen. So we see whenever you want to, well, you should go home and watch the movie Taken. You can see what God does on your behalf, except he don't cuss like that when he comes for your enemies, okay? Um, like it's not like that, but the illustration of it is the same. Did you? When you watch Taken, every move that man made was calculated. His daughter was over there. She couldn't see what he was doing. But all the time he was coming. See, there are some times God has you somewhere and you can't see what he's doing. But all the time he's coming. See, God will delay your deliverance to make sure he destroys your enemies. Does God delay deliverance? He does. The Bible says that he knew Lazarus died on the first day. But he waited. Three more days. And then he says, because this thing is for maximum glory. It is for God to get the maximum glory. That's why you can't tell your neighbor, say, don't hate, don't hate the process. Do not hate the process. Because the process means that God is working on a part while you're working on a part. And God isn't obligated to tell you all the part. That man didn't have time to tell his daughter every single thing he was going to do to get her. He just said, Here's what I need you to do. He said i need you to go with them i need you to stop fighting really what he was saying to her is i need you to stop fighting so they don't kill you he said because if they kill you it won't do me no good for me to come to you but if you'll stop fighting and you'll go with them i'm coming for you and anybody who's a parent knows what it's like to be both redeemer and person of war i am I, when it come to my kids i i love them and i redeem them but if somebody do something to my kids Watch out. Listen, we was driving to school last year in Black History Month, and Jordan says to me, she says, we're driving in the curve. She says, Mama, she said, at school the other day, they made us be slaves. Huh? What? Wait, wait, what What'd you say? She says, no, 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 no. They didn't make me be slaves. They made the people who didn't look like me be slaves so they could, under- oh, okay, well, you can go to school today. Now, they mama can come and deal with that. But if they had made my baby be a slave... I was going to tear that school up that day. They was going to text y'all. They was going to be like, we need a collection for Pastor Sean. They got her over there in Washington County Jail because she done whooped everybody up in the school who knew about the slave program. Now, if I in my natural ability will do that for my kids, how much more will God come for you? He will come for you. Now, look, let's go to this verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and we're going to be done. We're going to Isaiah 14, 15, 16, 17. We're going to wrap up right here because I want you to understand this. When God is walking you through the wilderness, he's doing, you, doing some things to you. He's doing three things in you when he's walking you to the wilderness. Because some of you feel like you're in the wilderness. You're like, when we go get there? When we go blow up? When the main dog's going to show up? When they go promote me to the top place, you're in the wilderness because in the wilderness, he always develops strategy so you can be successful. In fact, the reason that it took them a journey that should have only taken them two weeks, it took them 40 years, is because they never learned the lessons. In fact, this is what God said God said, they are so crazy and stubborn. I got to let all the old people die and let their kids raise up to be able to do something. Is the Lord going to have to wait for you to die to do something in your family? Are are you going to be so stubborn and so difficult and so determined to do it your way that he got to say, Lord, we got to wait till this generation dies so I can do something? Say, no, not going to be that way, no. And so it says, look at this. It says, so the first thing that God does in the wilderness is that he teaches you who he is. He teaches you who he is. Sometimes you don't get into overflow because God is trying to teach you that he's who he is that you can teach him. That's what he fed him with manna. He says it's enough for every day. Why? Because if you can manage enough for every day, you'll be able to manage abundance. So that's the principle of it. Some of you are trying to get to abundance and you're not managing enough for every day. Amen? The second thing is he's going to do is that he's going to teach you to maintain your peace. Look at verse 14. It says, In righteousness thou shalt be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression. For thou shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Well, if you look at verse 13, it says, And your your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In the wilderness, the Lord teaches you that the enemies don't control you. See, in the wilderness, you learn, that even if you like the, one, the woman with the widow, would pour out the meal? It may not be overflow, but every time you go, it's enough to eat. So he teaches you, one, who he is. And he teaches you how not to lose your peace. How many of you can admit you lose your peace way too easily? You lose your way. Listen, your peace has got to begin to be moved by what's internal. Money comes and goes. People come and go. Jobs come and go. Bosses are amazing one day, they from hell the next day. Same for spouses. Even the people you believe God called you to marry, or some days you like, now why did I do this? What was I thinking? And so you need to understand that God wants to teach you how to maintain your peace. I'm going to tell you this if traffic makes you angry in the morning, you need to work on your peace. Because traffic is external. And you should not be moved by what's external. You should be moved by what's internal. So he teaches you how to maintain your peace. And then he, teach, he establishes you in righteousness. In the wilderness, the goal is for God to teach you how to do what he says, even when it don't make sense. Give this amount. Well, why would I give that amount? Because I told you to. Don't date them. Why wouldn't I date them? Because I told you to. In the wilderness, God don't always give a bunch of extra words. Don't get a bunch of extra words. He say stop. He don't say why. Stop. You know sometimes as a parent you explain to your kids why they can't do something. Other times you like no. I don't even say because I say so. I just look at them. Right? Like 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 I'm not having a debate with you because every season isn't a season for debate. And there are some instructions that the Lord has given some of you right now and you're still trying to debate. You should just obey and you can speed up your wilderness. Because really you determine how long your wilderness is. Amen. Light bulb, light bulb. The devil don't determine how long your wilderness is. God doesn't determine how long your wilderness is. You determine how long your wilderness is by whether you come into obedience. Now, then he says, So he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. God wants to teach you how to do his way. So God teaches us who he is. He teaches us who we are, and he teaches us his strategies. Tell your neighbor, say, God is strategic. strategic. There is nothing about God that is willy-nilly. God is creative and big picture, but God is down to the detail. In fact, this is how detailed God is. God knows when you lose hair, 137. You don't just lose hair. You saw you just lost hair. He says, oh, no, those strands came from this spot, this spot, this spot, and this spot because everything about God is strategic. Amen? Now, let's keep going. He says, look at this in verse 15. He says, behold, they shall surely gather together. He is telling you that in your life, tell your neighbor, say, in your life, you will have some enemies. And he says, surely... Surely, that means certainly. He says, certainly, they are going to gather together. But what? But what? What does it say? But not by me. So it's like your poverty isn't because of God. Your health challenges aren't because of God. Your bad relationship isn't because of God. He says the enemies will gather, but what you need to understand is that they didn't come from me. Why is this so important? Because if you think your enemies and your attacks came from God, you will not ask him to deliver you. That's why I know deep down inside, people don't really believe sickness come from God. And if you really believe sickness come from God, here's what I want you to do next time you get sick. Don't take medicine. Don't go to the hospital. If it really came from God to teach you a lesson, experience the full brunt of the lesson. No inhalers, no sinus medicine, no clarity, no cough syrup. Just take it like a G. Don't nobody believe that, right? Sickness does not come from God. So it says you're going to have some things. They come, it says, but whoever shall gather together against thee. See, you ought to underline that in your Bible or highlight it right there. It says they should gather, but what they going to do? What are they going to do? Read scripture. Now read read again. When they gather, what are they going to do? That sounds so, like, do you not understand the magnitude of that? It says you have enemies. The Bible says this like this. It says they'll come for you one way, but they'll run from you seven. He said, yeah, they gathered all around. He said, but they will not stand. Why? Because they didn't come for me. He says, behold, I am created the waster. I created the devourer. Here's what he says. He says, I know every strategy the devil could ever pull because I made him. He says, so every instruction I am giving you, it is designed to maneuver you out of the way of the strategies that he has for you because I know him so well, he's predictable. See, what you don't understand about you is that the enemy has studied your generations. So he already knows what attack works for you. Because he has perfected them on your parents. And so God comes in and he says, wait a minute. He says, I know every strategy he's going to send against you. So if you will walk with me, you will miss many of the attacks. Because I know him that way. Well. that's just good stuff to me. He says, I have created for him. And then let's look at verse 17. I mean, yeah, verse 17. It says, this is why he says, he, this is why people quote this, but you don't read the rest of it. He says, no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. That word prosper means to be fruitful or advance. So if weapons are advancing against you, you out of sync with God. He says, because no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you, who shall condemn it? This word thou, what does it really mean? You. It says, so what? Your obedience, your positioning with God will condemn the attacks of the enemy against you. It mean, literally means this. It means if somebody walks up to you and says you're never going to be anything, that you should open up your mouth and say the devil is a lie. I condemn those words as wicked. You know, you're never going to be successful. You go always be in debt. Nobody gets debt free. No, no, no. I take authority. that You may not ever get debt free because that's your confession. But if you send these words of judgment toward me, I'm not just gonna sit back and go, "Oh, they was talking crazy about me." That's why you ought to be careful what you say about your kids and what you let other people say about your kids. That's why you ought not call your kids bad. You start calling them bad when they two, and then you wonder why they robbing banks when they're seventeen. You spent your whole life prophesying over them how bad they were. They may be mischievous. They may have a lot of energy. They may, need, they may be a little rebellious and need some training, but you ought not call your kids names or manifest things that you wouldn't want them to be. Or anybody else's. That's right. It says, and this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness of, is of me. So here's what I want to say to you. In this season right now, you are going to see God rise up and defeat your enemies. You are going to see some struggles that you have dealt with for years. They are going to break off of your life. In fact, this is what the Lord says. I was praying over this church. It says that literally some of you are ceiling breakers. You will break through what your parents have never been able to break through. You will break through. You will, but you got to partner with God to break through. Because God is strong and mighty and he wants to be strong and mighty in your life. And you will position your kids and your grand... Literally, some of you will be in situations where you will be gone on to glory and your great grandkids will be thankful for the decisions that you make today. God will use you to break curses in your family. Curses of poverty and curses of divorce and curses of anger and depression and stress and curses of confused sexual identity and curses of whoremongering and all of those different things... God wants to use you to break them. Amen. Amen. So how many want to see God do that in your life? That's is that good stuff to anybody? Yeah. Think about however it was when you grew up. In the goal of almost everybody, no matter how you good you grew up to create something better for your own kids, isn't that the goal like, so you look back at what your parents did and you said, they did this really well and we go going to keep this, right? You say, they didn't do this well, we go going to throw this away, right? And you, you're building on something, right? God spiritually wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to, he wants to show you. Here's why the men in your family struggle with anger. Let me break it in you so you can break it in the family. Here's why the women in your family X. Here's why the kids in your family X. When God begins to download that kind of intel, you become a generation changer. Yes. Don't let something like disobedience keep you from changing generations. Yes. Don't, don't do what's easy. Do what's necessary because somebody's waiting on you. How many times have you thought in your life, man, if, if, if my pain, I don't know about you, but I was just like, man, it would have been so nice not to go, to go to college and not have to work. It would been so nice to do that. So then one of our goals became to send our kids to college so they didn't have to work. We had to break some things on our life to do that because we were the first people to complete college. So we want to shift something. We want to complete college and you don't have loans that follow you. We wanted to be the people in our family that had a good marriage. That's why we worked so hard on our marriage because what we recognize is that your kids become what they behold. And so I don't care how much you tell your kids to have a good marriage. If you don't have a good marriage, if you don't communicate with your spouse, if you don't date your wife, if you don't honor your husband, if you don't do those things, you don't produce kids who know how to do those things. So there are things that God literally wants to break in your life so that your kids don't have to face them. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. We're going we're to go. We're going to just make a confession. This is what I want you to do. I just want you to take a second. You seem kind of solemn, but I think we ought to be more excited. I think I ought to be excited. And I, I don't usually ask you this. I usually ask people to open their mouth. But I just want you to just think about a position of victory and success. And I just want you to clap your hands thinking about what God wants to do in your life. Now, while you're clapping your hands, I want you to think about one thing in your family or one thing in your life that if it changed, it would change the game for your family. It would change the game for your family. And then I want you to believe that it's done and just open your mouth and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord." Thank you Lord Thank you Lord I, I I'm I'm sharing a little bit of my journey as we go on this and then we're gonna have some people if you need prayer um Chris Ralph come up if somebody needs prayer for Richard. Jen, if you need prayer for something specific, you can come. But I'm just—I share a little bit of my testimony because I believe it's so important to share your testimony so people can see what you're going through. I got some great victories, but I got some struggles in my life. And like for years, the Lord has talked to me about about dealing with my weight. And I'll be faithful, and then I'll see some cake I really like, and I won't. And then it'll be summertime, and McAllister Sweet Tea will start calling me, and then I won't. And this is what the Lord said to me this week. He said, "Is food worth?" You leaving your kids before you have imparted everything they need for the next generation. And all of a sudden, sweet tea wasn't near as appealing. See, when God is talking to you about your weight, your money, your mind, drinking, smoking, all of that, all he's trying to do is to keep you here so that your kids, your grandkids, don't have to learn lessons without your wisdom. There are lots of lessons that would be better sent if you could learn them at your grandmother's table, but your grandmother's gone or she didn't learn the lesson. We have to purpose to bring our obedience into ourself so that the enemy doesn't leave your kids without strategies for the next level. It, it's time for people to see. your. For, to, to see, There's nothing better. I think uh, I, when, I, when somebody says, my grandparents have been married for X amount of years— and they like each other. Not just they stayed, because that that was what they did. But my grandparents have been married for X number of years, and they like each other. And we come from two-parent homes where they've been married for X number of years, and they like each other. Do you not realize that that sets your kids up to expect something different? When I grew up, most folks, I knew wasn't married, and the ones who did didn't like each other. Now, my kids get to come here, and they get to see the Smiths. And the Beasleys and the Valleys and the Marlows, they get to see these couples and they're like, I want to be like that when I grow up. Because they see it's cool. They're like, man, we don't have to wait till we 40 and we done ran ourselves ragged. Man, we can get in here and build a life right now. That is what generational change does. Amen. Let's just pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word that we've heard. I pray that you begin to stir victory in our hearts. I pray that every instruction that you've given us, you would help us attach it to victory. That we will understand that even the things that you've asked us, asked us to do, and they seem so uncomfortable for us, that they are designed for our victory and the victory of the next generation. Father, we thank you for what you desire to do in the lives of your people. We thank you that when we rise up in agreement that you release angelic help and grace to do what we could not do alone. We pray of our marriages and we call them blessed. We pray over those who are believing for spouses, and we pray that you would give them discernment to connect with someone that they will build something with, not just someone they will look cute with. Father, we pray over our children. We cancel every assignment against them in the name of Jesus. In fact, we pray that you will begin to give us discernment to even see the strategies of the enemy before they come, that we will prepare our children. Father, we pray over our finances because we are tithers and givers. We call them blessed in the name of Jesus and we rebuke the devourer for our sake. We pray over our bodies in the name of Jesus. We repent for any damage that we've done through bad eating, not resting, stressing. We repent right now in the name of Jesus and we bring ourselves into alignment with what you would have us to do. God, we thank you for transformation. We thank you that this is the year of victory. We thank you that this is the year, not just of victory, but of great victory. We thank you that this is a season of curse breaking. We thank you that this is a season that we are relaying the foundation for victory. This is a place of champions, and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Greet somebody you didn't